Uh, this evening, uh, we are getting back into our series, Royal Outcast, and uh, we are going the next uh, section from chapter 16 into Samuel. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free uh, to turn there. And uh, we're looking at the subject of wisdom uh, this evening from where's a little bit of a strange passage. You'll see why I say that uh, in, a, in a few moments' time. If you've been around a while, you'll know that we've been looking, uh, tracking the life of King David through the books of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And uh, the story of King David is really the rise and then the fall in his life. He's gone up and up and up, kind of reached the pinnacle of his kingship. And now he just he makes some mess ups, which we'll talk about a bit later, which means that his own life, his family and the whole nation begin just to crumble all around him. And they start falling back down. That's the passages that we're in right now. And they're not very jolly, to be fair with you. And I don't know if you've ever seen any kind of programs about the rise and fall of various celebrities. I remember seeing one about Cheryl Cole or about Will I Am or uh, Arsene Wenger now. Uh, you know, he's, they had their heyday. It's gone well, but then things for one, for one reason or another have not gone well. And it started going back downhill. If you're a believer here, if you're a Christian here this evening, we've got a wonderful hope that our life is on a certain trajectory. We know where we're headed. We know that history at some time will be wrapped up by Jesus when he comes again. And we'll get to live with him for all eternity with new bodies in a perfect place. That we are what the Bible calls citizens of heaven. And that's the reality. That is a real reality for us as believers. That's what we believe is going to happen. And we could do ourselves a favour by thinking about that a bit more in terms of the hope of an eternity with Jesus. But the reality is that we are still living in the here and now in a sinful and a fallen world. And that means it's not just all on one trajectory up towards heaven. Actually, it kind of bobs along. Sometimes there's some very deep troughs, some highs and lows, that kind of stuff. How do we cope in the midst of that? What kind of wisdom do we need to deal with those different things? So we're going to look at the, this passage about the life of David um, today and see how we get hold of Jesus in the midst of different difficulties and find wisdom for our lives. You may or may not know the full story of David. I think I'm still discovering bits as we go through. And, uh, but the story of David, lots of people think, oh yeah, I know David and Goliath. I know David when he messes up Bathsheba, but I don't really know the bits in between. And I just want to point you towards a really good resource that I found on the web uh, in the last 12 months called The Bible Project. And so these guys, they've been making uh, amazing uh, kind of YouTube animations of different themes in the Bible and different books in the Bible. And there's one about 1 and 2 Samuel. And so you can go, you can go and click on it, and it gives you just a really just good kind of four-minute overview of what the, the books are and that kind of arc of the rise and fall of David, which will help you just frame the things we're preaching about uh, week in, week out. So there's a little bit of homework for you this week. Go and watch some YouTube. And uh, who knew I was going to say that, hey? And uh, while you're there, why don't you subscribe to the Emmanuel channel as well? So, yes. So, where are you at today in your life? Where is it that you need wisdom right now? Are you on a great high? Maybe you're on a real, real low. No, God knows where you are. And uh, he loves you and he's got things to say to you even this evening. And so uh, we're going to be doing that as we look at the life of David. Now, let me give a little recap of where we've got to. Uh, David, yeah, life is not going well. His third son, Absalom, has murdered one of his other sons. And uh, he's now trying to uh, usurp, trying to get David out so that he can now become king. Uh, David has caught wind of this. And so David has fled the capital city, Jerusalem, and is now out in the wilderness, kind of keeping himself safe. He doesn't get captured, doesn't get killed. 
And Absalom, this wicked, rebellious son, has now got a massive entourage and is coming to Jerusalem to claim his kingship, to steal the kingship of King David. And that's where we're at today in 2 Samuel chapter 16. Let me read to you, starting in verse 15. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. And when Hushai, Hushai the Archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your life, loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom shall I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel. What should we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go to your father's concubines. He's going to sleep with your father's concubines, your father's wives, whom he has left to, the, to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched the tent of Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. It is a bit of a strange story with some strange themes. Maybe thinking, I don't know what you're even talking about. Well, hopefully, as we unpick it, you'll begin to kind of pick up some of the nuances of the relationships and the, what's going on almost behind the scenes. The reality is it's a very sad story. I don't know if you've ever watched daytime television, watched the kind of those Jeremy Carr type programs where they get people on with really kind of broken lives. And the situation is very messy and they try and make entertainment out of it. But if you've ever watched it for more than like five minutes, you realise it's not entertainment at all. It's just very, very sad. I think these are real people with really sad, messy, broken lives. And there they are putting it on display for all to see. The reality is this, is this is the case for King David and his family. It is a messy, sad situation with very grotty, nasty things happening in it. And it's not a very good news message tonight, let me just tell you. Okay, it's full of just difficulty and things we're having to grasp. But as we look at it, we can see Jesus. I think, where? Where can we see Jesus? Well, sometimes in the, in the Bible, when we look at various characters, we can think, oh, they've got characteristics that point us towards who Jesus is. And there's other characters we look at and think, they point to characteristics that Jesus will never have. They're kind of an anti-Jesus, the anti-Christ. Jesus is the perfect king. Absalom is like the anti-king. Jesus is the king of kings. He is the opposite, Absalom is. So as we're looking at this, we're looking thinking, okay, this is what Absalom's like. Absalom's like. We know that Jesus is the opposite. Jesus is always good. He's not like this man. So as we look at that, we're going to look at it through the lens of looking at wisdom. And so we're going to look at it under three headings. Being wise with what you say, being wise with what you hear, and being wise about your sin. So let's have a look at the first one. Wise with what you say. So this uh, kind of, these verses we've read to you, they're kind of split into two sections. Absalom, this rebellious son, it's his interaction with a guy called Hushai, and his interaction with a guy called Ahithophel. So the first interaction is with Hushai. Now, if you've been around for the last couple of weeks, um, you would have heard Joel speaking about Hushai. Hushai was David, Absalom's father's friend, close counsel, guide walked along, it walked along in life with him. 
And David has sent him to go and get into Absalom's camp to win his favour, to win his respect. Why? So that he can then sabotage Absalom's plans. He's going in as a spy. As a result, Hushai has got to um, show some real wisdom. His position there is delicate. He's got to be careful with how he speaks and how he interacts with the king, Absalom, and his men. Have you ever been in a situation where you've had to choose your words and actions carefully? We've had to be a bit diplomatic about the way things, way you say things. I was speaking to a friend of mine recently, an Arsenal supporter, as it happens, and uh, I'm not one of those. And, uh, and uh, he went to see Arsenal play, but not, uh, and, and he was seeing Arsenal away, but he couldn't get tickets in the away end, and so he got tickets to the home end. And uh, he was going to turn up bold as brass with his Arsenal shirt on but under a coat, which makes sense, doesn't it? If you're going to sit in the home end and you're an away supporter, that's probably quite wise. And he sits there and Arsenal win the match and they score a couple of goals. And every time they score a goal, he's going to like, mm, I'm really pleased about this, but I can't show it. He has to show some diplomacy at that point, thinking if he stands up and starts cheering and shouting, at the best scenario is he's going to get kicked out of the stadium. The worst scenario would probably be a little bit uglier. There was a situation there where he was thinking, no, no, I've got to think about this here. What situation have you been where you've got to operate with some level of diplomacy? Not deceit, but diplomacy about what you've had to do. Thinking before you speak. The reality is for Christians in this world, that's the position we find ourselves in. Christians are in a massive minority, particularly in this nation. And so we're people of faith who believe there is one Lord of King and believe some things that are not particularly popular at times. Telling, telling the world that they're sinners that we're all sinners is not a popular message and that we all need to lay down our lives and follow Jesus is not a popular message that people are going to want to hear. And so we ought to be those who are diplomatic about the way that we say it. We do want to say it, don't get me wrong. We want to help people find the way back to God, which means we have to show them what it looks like. But we've got to be wise in the way that we do it. Jesus said this to us, his disciples. He said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Have you heard that before? As Christians, we're meant to be wise in the way that we conduct ourselves. Yes, we're meant to be as innocent as doves. We're meant to be loving and gentle and peaceable. People who are good, people who look to us, I think those are people who are seeking to bless others, seeking to serve others. We also want to be wise about the way that we do it. There's another verse in Romans 12, 17, it says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Why? Because we want open doors for the gospel. If we're not living peaceably with those around us, people aren't going to care about what we've got to say. They're not going to care about the Jesus we talk about, the fact that he's loving, if we're not seen as loving people. If we aren't those that lean in and seek to understand others. We're just fighting our corner, just defending what we believe the whole time. Actually, people aren't going to want to heal from us. Now we want to lean in. We ultimately want to tell them about Jesus. We want to show them his love. Show that we're a people of peace because God is a God of peace. And so well, as we try and work out this tension, being those who want to proclaim Jesus loudly, but also want to live peaceably, it can feel like a bit of a tension. And there's two dangers that we could fall into. One is that we could find ourselves, as we try and win other people, that we could end up being disloyal to the King of Kings. 
So Hushai, in this passage, he tries to do that. He tries to kind of win Absalom over. Absalom says, who is it you serve? He said, long live the king, long live the king. And Hushai really doesn't mean Absalom. He means his mate, David. That's who he's really talking about. So Absalom pushes him. He's like, really? Why have you not gone with your friend? You know, he says his friend, he doesn't even say his father, but his friend. Why have you not gone with him? And he says, oh, it's because I'm seeking to serve you. And Hushai kind of moves from a place of kind of diplomacy, really into a bit of deceit at that point. We're not talking about deceit tonight. We're talking about being genuinely diplomatic in the way that we deal with things. Not just trying to make our lives easier by telling people whatever they want to hear, hiding our Christianity away, not telling people to even go to church. No, we want to wear it on our sleeves, say, yeah, no, I'm Jesus. I'm his diplomat. I'm his ambassador here. But being wise in the way that we do it. That's one danger. The other danger is uh, that we can be destructive. We can be so said, you know, I am Jesus man. I'm Jesus woman in this situation. I can tell you exactly who he is and why what you think is wrong and what you're doing is wrong. You know, that's just abrasive. If Hushai had said that to Absalom, said, I'm King David's man. I'm come here to tell you, you are falsely taking on this kingdom. Absalom would have just outed him, either kicked him out or killed him. Same with us. We are people who are trying to win others over. And if we go in, guns blazing, saying, no, you've got this wrong, and this is what you should believe, that kind of stuff, well, people are just going to ignore us. They're going to push us to one side. Now, we want to go into situations with people wisely, in our workplaces, in our families, in our schools. I'm a school governor. I have been for 10 years, and, uh, and I'm chair of governors, actually. And uh, I get to set the agenda for lots of things. And uh, I had a Christian friend say, you must start every prayer meeting, uh, start every governor's meeting with prayer. And I thought, what are you talking about? There's no other Christians on my governing body. They would just see that as weird. They would, that would be an odd thing for them to do. I'm going to pray before I go into those meetings because I want to represent God well. And I want my governing body to go well. But I'm not going to drag everyone into that. that, that they, they would find that uncomfortable. That would be difficult for them. Or when different issues come up, or the government sent different legislation, le- legislation, it's up to me as a governor to make sure we follow that through. I don't always want to tick off everything on it. And there's some difficult situations there. But I've got to make wise decisions. Ask God for wisdom. What's the right thing to say in those things? Because I want to win other people. They might know that we're intelligent and we're able to uh, engage with them uh, in terms of their own worldview and what they're thinking as well. There's two dangers there. One is that we buy wholesale into the world around us. The other one is that we just go against it. There's some kind of tension, some middle line there. And Hushai tries to walk this here. Another Bible character, Daniel, he probably walks it better than Hushai does. Daniel was uh, taken out of the nation of Israel and taken off to Babylon. And he's a slave and a servant there. And uh, Daniel could have chosen to shake his fist at Babylon, got all kinds of angry and rebelled against that nation, and left with just bitterness towards it. Instead, he chooses the wisdom of God, chooses to love the nation that he finds himself in, chooses to serve and worship God in the place that he finds himself in. And as he does, does so, he rises up the ranks in Babylonian society to the point where he has amazing authority, amazing governmental authority in that nation. He's recognised at that. At the same time as he serves and does that, he also staunchly sticks to the fact that he is God's man. And he prays three times a day, even when it's made illegal. Because there's time to make a stand sometimes. And he makes a stand says, no, I will pray three times every day. And as a result, he gets arrested in the famous story. He gets chucked into the lion's den and God saves him from it. And as a result of that, the king then turns and worships the true and living God. He's wise in the situation he's in. Jesus is probably our best model with this. 
Jesus was wonderful when he was on earth of being countercultural. He was totally radical, often mixing up, making trouble in lots of ways. But often when people ask him, trying to catch him out, he just had a wise word. He wouldn't be drawn into just needless arguments. Now, he would ask questions about other people's worldview as they tried to unpick his. They tried to tri- trip him up. He just took a wise word back to them. What about the disciples in the book of Acts? We read about them. We read that they're fishermen and are farmers, men who are in that society basically uneducated, who often found themselves in all kinds of trouble before authorities, but would know the right thing to say as they prayed and asked God for wisdom. And God gave it to them. And it shocked the people that were in front of them. Like, how can these men and, uh, come back with such answers? How are they so wise? Why? Because they looked to God in those moments. It's not about education. It's about being slow to speak, quick to think and pray and commit your ways to the Lord. Where is it right now that you need to operate in wisdom as a Christian, winning others over to the message of the good news and the gospel? Let me just mention one place where I see Christians often failing at this, and that is on social media. Amount of times I have face palm moments. I'm literally like, are you kidding? Why have you posted that brother and sister in Christ? Why have you decided to blurt that out on the internet? I figure that just was not wise. You are publicly saying things and just in language and ways that's not winning anyone. You're trying to win an argument when you should be trying to win people. We do want to win arguments. We want to win people over. But we want to do it in the context of loving people and winning them. There's times where I have to tell you, I've not done this well myself. Different settings where I've been too abrasive. I've just had to repent and say, God, I'm sorry I didn't do well in that moment. I didn't represent you well. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, I don't always do this well. You know, you get to repent tonight and say, God, give me wisdom. And God isn't going to give you a new app called Wisdom on your smartphone. That's not how it works. God's going to put you in situations where you have to start asking him for wisdom and exercise it. We grow in wisdom by getting in those situations and reflecting and asking God for his help in it. So our first point is be wise with what you say. That's the first interaction between Absalom and Hushai. And the next interaction is between um, Absalom and Ahithophel. And I spent all week learning his name. And uh, Ahithophel is basically an amazing kind of a wise counsellor in the nation of Israel. Both David and Absalom and lots of other people would look to him for godly wisdom. And he's obviously given that over uh, his lifetime. And so he is now in Absalom's camp. He's one of Absalom's uh, counsellors. And... Uh, Absalom goes to him for counsel. And there's an interaction between them. Absalom's saying, what should I do? I don't know how much you're into politics. I quite like watching particularly elections and uh, seeing how uh, new prime ministers and presidents do in their first 100 days particularly. Because the first 100 days really marks out what kind of prime minister or a president they're going to be. So Donald Trump, there was a big kind of looking, what is he going to do in his first 100 days? (laughs) Is he going to live up to what he said he's going to be and do? People are looking in. Again, with Theresa May, what kind of prime minister? What's its first 100 days? What are the first actions is she going to take? Same with Absalom. Absalom's like, turns to Ahithophel and says, what should we do now? What's the first thing that we should do? What's the first thing that my king should, should be known for? And Ahithophel turns and gives him the following advice. Says that, why don't you go in and sleep with your father's wives? What crazy advice is that? He says these concubines, concubines, they're um, almost kind of second-rate wives, essentially. 
kind of wives that are bulking up the numbers so you can have a bigger family or political sway, kind of taking uh, kind of princesses from other nations and adding them so they can have different alliances. But these, these women who are part of David's family, his wives essentially, he said, go and sleep with your father's wives and do it in public, do it in front of everyone else. And when I say sleep with them, what I mean is rape them. I don't think they're just going to be up for it. He's just going to rape his father's wives. And there may be some kind of uh, genius aspect to that militarily, but it's not wisdom. When it cuts against what God says, when it cuts against what God says is right and good, then it's not wisdom. It's sin and it is foolishness. And uh, Ahithophel advises Absalom to do that because he's saying, look, you must be a stench in your father's nostrils. Make sure you really cut him off so that everyone can see that. And you're your own man. You're going to go your own way. And unfortunately, Absalom takes upon himself this wisdom and follows it through. Now, I'm not expecting many of us or any of us to go and sleep with our father's concubines. I don't think that's particularly relevant to any of us particularly. You might want to switch off, but this is not relevant to me. There are things that we can learn here. Learn about how we receive counsel, how we receive wisdom. And Absalom, he's totally missed the wisdom of God here. Instead, he's fallen into foolishness and into the grave sin. So, but how can we avoid missing the wisdom of God? Well, the first thing is not just listening, kind of listening intelligently to the, what's around us. So Absalom, he's basically just asked the first person next to him. He said, what should I do? He says that, and he's just gone and done it. He's not been very discerning about it. The reality is the world is giving us advice, giving us counsel, is preaching at us all the time. You maybe come to church once a week, maybe a small group too. So there's like little doses of kind of godly sermon wisdom that is doing you good. But you know what? The world is screaming at you all day long, all kinds of messages that are not godly, that are not biblical, that are not right. Whether that's people in our education settings, in our work settings, the media and the entertainment that we consume, social media, friends, families. Where is it that you're currently getting your counsel from? Not just in particular situations, but those who are helping mould your worldview. All of us are more susceptible than maybe we realise to the messages around us. And we need to be more intelligent about and more critical about the counsel and the things that we hear from day to day. Things aren't maybe as neutral as you think. They might not seem obviously wicked, but are they God-glorifying? Are they helping you become the person that God wants you to be? Don't just take in, um, without uh, kind of putting filters on, the counsel that you are currently receiving in your life. Maybe you've got people in your life who you really look up to, who you have even given you really good counsel before. And sometimes we can put people on pedestals and say, this person, I really respect them. Everything they say, I'm going to do. I would say that can be a dangerous place to be as well. When I first came back to uh, Jesus, I spent a bit of time away from him. But when I came back to Jesus, actually in this church, this church helped me find my way back to God uh, when I was a student here. And I had a mate called Tim and we uh, shared a flat for a season. And uh, when I was just coming back to Jesus, I started reading lots of books by C.S. Lewis. He's the guy who wrote the Narnia books, but he also wrote loads of amazing books about the Christian faith. It just helped me get myself back into who Jesus is, who I'm meant to be. And uh, as I was reading it, it built me up. I loved it and lapped it up, read lots and lots of his books. But one day, my friend Tim comes home and I'm in the kitchen bashing around. And he says to me, Stephen, what is up? You're clearly a bit off. I said, well, I've read something today, Tim. Since Lewis has said this thing that 
I, I don't quite agree with. That's not quite how I see the Bible's take on it. And so I've got to come to terms with that. It's a bit difficult, that kind of stuff. And he said, oh, really? He goes, yeah, you know, C.S. Lewis, he's right on this, that and the other. And now he's saying this. And he just said to me, you know, C.S. Lewis isn't God, right? It's like, what? He's like, yeah, he's not good. It's like, oh, yeah. He's not. No, he is someone who I respect, who has a brain who far outstretches his mind and has wonderful arguments and wisdom, but he's not God. He's not infallible. And actually, there's things that I disagree on a biblical basis. That's okay. Who knew? There's other people maybe in your life who are thinking, yeah, but they've always given me such sound wisdom, such advice, but on this thing, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't match up with what I think God is saying or what, is, what I find in Scripture or what, even what other godly people are saying to me. Well, that's okay. Often I find that when I meet with uh, young men and women, I'm asking them about decisions they're making, and they might say, come back to me and say, I don't think my mum and dad would like that. Well, that would, that would, that, that's not what they're saying. They're saying to do something different to me. And I'm really careful and say, you know, good. I'm glad you're considering that. I'm glad you're wrestling that through about what your parents think, because the Bible's really clear. We are to honour our parents. I'm 36 now, and I still choose to honour my parents in the decisions that I make. I let them in early, say, hey, these are decisions that we're making as a family. I just want you to be along for the ride. And do you have any input you want to give? Because God's given them to me as a gift. And I want them to be in on the journey of my life. But the reality is, our parents are often after our safety and our comfort. And that's good. But sometimes that can go against what God's got for us. Because the good that God has for, has for us is often not comfortable. And it's often not safe. And sometimes you need to weigh up, hey, this parent in my life, they're a good, and they're a good source of wisdom for me. They mustn't have a hold of you, hold on you, like God has. We're to respect them, love them, honour them, but ultimately look to God the Father and ask him, what is it that he is saying into our lives? Another way we can miss the wisdom of God is by listening to that very loud counsellor in each of our lives, and that is ourselves. Who's the number one person we listen to? It's us, generally. It's particularly in our society where the individual is king. Now, what you feel, what you think, hey, you do it. If it feels right to you, you go and do it. That's okay. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, submit your life to following Christ. What would he say to you? We can be so unquestioning about our own thoughts and feelings. We can become our own worst counsellor. I um, was speaking with a young guy recently, and uh, we had a different, a difference of opinion about some decisions that he was making about a relationship that he was getting himself into. And uh, just some of that way he was going about it, I said, I, I, you know, I don't think this is right. I think as we look at Scripture together, this isn't godly. And he just basically said, I, I, don't, I, don't, I think I see it differently. I think you're wrong. And I don't want to consult the Bible on this. And uh, you know, I, I think this, this is what I'm going to do. And uh, I just took a moment to think, God, give me wisdom for this situation. And I said to him, you've got a lot of wise people. In fact, yeah, a lot of wise people you love and respect. Can you name one of them that would agree with you on this decision? And he took a moment and I just saw the light bulb switch on. He's like, not one. Not one of them would think that what I'm doing is right. You're, you're right. And he just repented and said, yeah, you're right. Okay, let's go for this. Because he just got a moment of thinking, I'm not going to just listen to my own counsel. I'm going to listen to the counsel of other wise, godly people that I trust and come back to the word of God. It says this in Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Our own hearts trip us up so much. It's so important 
that we uh, speak to others about what's going on inside it. I met with another guy this last couple of weeks as we were just having coffee together. He brought me a coffee. It's very nice of him. And uh, feel free to do that. He, he brought me a coffee and uh, we're just sitting having a chat. And uh, he just, he's, a, he's been a member here quite a while. And he says to me, oh yeah, we, we recently stopped giving. I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, oh, why, why, why have we stopped giving? He said, well, just finances just aren't as secure as they used to be. We're not quite sure what's coming in month to month, and it's a bit difficult. So he decided we, we can't give anymore. I said, oh, you can't give anymore? He said, he said, yeah. I said, okay. Well, let's look at the Bible. Let's see what the Bible has to say about that. And uh, he said, no, I've got my theology. I know that giving's good and giving's right. I said, no, if that's true, let's look at the Bible together. And we just looked at the story of um, the widow who gives into the offering in the temple. And the Bible says she gives out of what she had to live on. And I said, you know what? You might not be able to do a massive percentage of your wage right now, but you are living off finance right now, something of which you could sacrifice to give. Knowing that as you give, promises, God promises to give back. Not just in the next life, but in this life as well. The Bible says do not trust God on anything except financial provision. So I said, no, the Bible says this. This is clear. You have got some finance to live on. In fact, why have you bought me a coffee? If that's the situation, I could have bought you a coffee. And you could have used that money and given that to God. Why don't you give that to God? And he was just like, you're right. I want my life to match up with the theology, match up with what God says. So him and his wife, they decided to give. Not this Sunday, last Sunday. And uh, he texts me on Wednesday. He goes, you're not going to believe this. I was like, he's like, God's just totally given everything back we gave this week. He just looked after us. Just as we tested him in this and gone for it. Now, it's not a slot machine. It's not giving and get, take out, but just the mindset change. You know what? We might not be able to get the whole hog we want to go, but we're going to start just beginning to believe God in a situation. The reality is that couple, what happened is they become their own worst counsel. They're like, this is going wrong, this is going wrong, this is wrong, so we should stop doing this. Instead of saying, this is going wrong, this is going wrong, what does God say? This is going wrong, this is going wrong, let's seek out someone to help us with this. Where in your life right now are you not letting people in or not letting God in to give you wisdom and good counsel? So how do we know if we're getting good counsel or not? Well, let me give you a couple of things. Does it glorify God? Are the decisions you make, do they glorify God? Now, I'm not saying that Christians have the monopoly on wisdom or I have the monopoly on wisdom. I really, really don't. Uh, but God does. And, uh, and, uh, but, but, but in God's wonderful love and uh, grace, he's given wisdom to all kinds of people. We're not just Christians, but all kinds of people. And I receive wisdom from very, various sources. Read books from Christians and non-Christians, all kinds of stuff. And in that, I'm looking at saying, God, thank you for those different sources of wisdom. But I'm always putting it through a lens of, but is this now going to glorify God? It says in Proverbs 1, 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I want to fear God. I want my life to be before him. That's the beginning of where my wisdom comes from, where I can make wise decisions. The great thing is if you lack wisdom, God promises to give it to us. It says this in James 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given back to you. Remember, that's a promise that you can grab hold of tonight. And God might help you be wise with the things that you say. That you be wise with the counsel that you receive. That you might live as a wise man or woman. Third point, being wise with your sin. Absalom's new outrageous layer of shocking sin 
of raping his father's wife, uh, father's wives. It's pretty appalling. But it's not necessarily that shocking or surprising, really. Because Absalom has been on a trajectory of sin. Not an upward trajectory, a downward trajectory. Downward spiral, in fact. Down into sin. Because the reality with sin, either you are actively killing sin, or sin is actively killing you. It's not a static thing. The wrong things we say or do and think, they're not done in a vacuum, in isolation. No, there's a kind of a context to it. In the way our hearts and our attitudes are. And uh, I'll compare this to a garden. My garden is under constant assault from weeds. Seeds blowing into my garden. And I need to be on it in terms of getting them out, removing them, so it doesn't get overrun with weeds. Little confession, it is now overrun with weeds. And I will be spending tomorrow sorting it out. But I constantly need to get there and grab them out. Absalom hasn't done that. He's just let weeds grow up and up and up and they're getting bigger and huger and developing and bearing fruit and there's animals living under it, all kinds of stuff. He's gone a mess. And that's the trajectory he's been on, been on. He's murdered his brother. He's a man of a awesome amounts of pride and arrogance. Even while he was serving in his father's household, he thought he could do it better. It says this at the beginning of chapter 15. Oh, that I were judging the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me and I would give him justice. He thinks he can do a better job than God's anointed king, David. He wants admiration for himself. He's after it for himself. And now he's not just usurping the king. He's not just being arrogant and rude. He's now actively got rid of that king. Actively wants him out of the way. And then, yes, going further into sexual sin and doing it flagrantly in front of other people, doing it on top of a rooftop so everyone can see it. Not even doing it in the shadows, he's doing it so everyone can see his sin. Such a lack of wisdom when it comes to his sin. He should be quickly repenting, getting himself out of that spiral, going the other way, killing sin. But no point has he done that. He's just spiraling down and down into it. Added to that, there's a lack of wisdom in terms of the result of other people's sin. I've already mentioned that David had all these concubines. How many wives should David have had? One. That's what God said. One man, one woman. David's gone outside that. He committed adultery and then filled his palace with other women as well. And so this, is, this family is reaping uh, kind of the rewards or the curses for David's actions. And uh, when David messed up in this way, uh, 2 Samuel 12 says this. It says, God said this to David, Behold, I'll raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I'll take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. In this case, to your son. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the son. David's sin didn't just affect him. Didn't just affect Bathsheba. Didn't it just affect Bathsheba's uh, dead husband? No, it is messy. It's affected the whole family. One son's been murdered. Two, two of his children have been killed. And another one is now rebelling in a horrendous way against him. Our sin doesn't just stay here. It explodes and affects those around us. Now, David's sin is not an excuse for absence of sin, but you can see how it's playing out in that way. Maybe some of the difficulty in your life is a result of other people. Maybe similar to Absalom, maybe it's even a result of your parents. Done things against you or sinned against you in some way. Or maybe you're just following in their footsteps in terms of the sins that they've committed. Think, I'm just caught in this cycle. This is just who I am. Well, the Bible would speak to you. So that's not who you are. If you come to faith in Jesus, you come and follow him, 
His blood cuts off the sins of your forefathers. That's the way it puts it in 1 Peter. So it cuts off the sin of your forefathers. You can be redeemed. You can be made whole, made whole. And you can start a new godly legacy as a man or woman of God who follows him and makes him Lord. Be wise of your sin. Deal with it. Don't let it pass you by. Don't, don't sweep it under the carpet. Don't hide it away. Deal with it head on. If you don't, you're in danger. Let me finish just by saying this. If you don't deal with your sin there and then, your heart, your heart will get hard. That's what the Bible says. There's a real difference between David and Absalom's sin in one sense, although they've both sinned sexually in all kinds of ways. There's a similarity. There's a, there's a, sorry, those similarities, there are differences. Absalom's sin is just in front of everyone. He's owning his sin. He happily is now sinning in front of everyone, in front of his father, in front of all Israel, and in front of God. David, when he sinned, there was hope for him. Why? Because he was ashamed of his sin. He did everything he could to keep it quiet, to keep it hidden. And that's not the right thing to do with your sin. But at least he had the hope that shame was still there. There was still a softening, realizing that sin was still sin. Isaiah says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. You don't want to get to that place. Why? That means that is a bad place you've got to. And that's what Absalom's got to because he's just hard in his heart. And God said, okay, well, I'm going to leave you to carry on sinning, to keep corrupting yourself. God was gracious to David. He pointed at his sin and when David realised it, he repented and he turned to God. Where are you at today? Maybe you're feeling a bit stirred by what is quite a sober message. Maybe you're thinking about a particular sin, maybe even a habitual sin, something you're committing and battling with over and over again. Let me, take, let me encourage you. If you're feeling bad about it, if you're grieving it, there's hope for you. Actually, there's joy for you today. Because when you feel like that, you can come to God and repent. And you can receive his free forgiveness. Jesus didn't say, to be forgiven, you need to feel bad for a season and then come and ask for forgiveness. No, he said, come and repent. Today, says this in the Hebrews, today, if you hear his voice, do not harm your hearts as in the rebellion. Don't do that. Come instead. Come and repent. Say, God, I've got it wrong. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you're hearing today thinking, actually, I think I do need a saviour. I want to be a heavenly citizen. There's stuff in my life that I need to get sorted. You can do that today. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus, to deal with that sin and move into a place of freedom, of forgiveness, of knowing your sin that's gone. Let me encourage you, maybe today God's placing something on your heart. I'm really praying that God is stirring each of us. Maybe you're saying, thinking, this isn't relevant to me. I'm telling you, it is relevant to you. We all have sin in our life that needs repentance. When Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, he taught us to pray every day to ask for forgiveness. There's things that we need to ask God for forgiveness. Take a moment and think, what is it, God, that I need to be right with you on? And it might be that you need to share that sin with someone. And uh, I've written here, text Lee. I've got a mate called Lee. And uh, when I mess up in sin, I've got someone to tell, and uh, God puts it on my heart. I have a practice of texting my friend Lee there and then, saying, look, mate, I've sinned and I need to tell you about it. Because it just helps me just to confess it to someone else. And he's not my priest or anything, but it just helps me think I want to grasp hold of this and deal with it properly. Particularly if it's something I need help out of. 
Maybe you need to do that today. Someone find someone you trust or text someone today, even before you leave the meeting, say, there's an area of my life that I need to get sorted with God. Please help me. Absalom was a horrible king. Jesus is the perfect king. He was rude and arrogant, stealing a kingship. God is a humble king who came to love us and serve us, to lay down his kingship and take up your sin and shame. He took it to the cross with himself that he might receive the punishment, the shame for what we have done, that we might know the freedom to know uh, his love and his forgiveness, his righteousness for ourselves. That's what we can receive this evening. It's a heavy message, but let's not leave heavy. Let's come to God. Let's come to the communion tables and take the bread and the wine together and remember what he has done for us. Let me uh, pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, that uh, you saw that sin was coming. You knew the trouble that we we're going to get ourselves into. And I thank you, you already had a plan in place, Lord God, to save us from it. Jesus was already there, waiting the wings, ready to come to earth, to die in our place, that our sin might be done with, that the power that it has over our life might be extinguished, and that we might know the freedom to serve you and love you and do life with you. And I want to pray right now just for people to do business with you. Uh, where there's things that they need to just confess to you in their hearts, that they would be bold in doing that. Where they need to share it with someone else, that they might do that, uh, Lord God. And that we might leave this evening receiving your forgiveness and the joy of it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.